Take your Bible and open it with me now to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We're going to cover a lot more verses than we would normally do on a Sunday morning, but this is a long story. I don't know I can break it up more than we've already done. We looked at the first part of this story last Sunday. Today we're going to look at John chapter 9, verses 8 through 41. While you're turning there, five years ago, a Miss Stephanie Agnew and Robbie Campbell were married in Australia. Every wedding is different. Every wedding is special. What made this one unique is the fact that Stephanie is blind, having lost her sight at the age of 29. And so on their wedding day, they asked all of the guests to do something different. They asked all of the guests to wear blindfolds during the ceremony so that they would experience it the same way that she did. Now, one person who was not wearing a blindfold was the photographer. After the wedding, he was interviewed by ABC News, and this is how he described it when she walked down the aisle. He said, here was Steph looking so stunning that she took Rob's breath away, and yet she couldn't see her own beauty nor Rob's expression of complete adoration. It was humbling and powerful. It is love. When I read that story, I'm reminded that several times in the New Testament, the church is called a bride. We are the bride of Christ. And just like Mrs. Agnew, we would do well to remember that there was a time when we could not see. There was a time when we were spiritually blind. But even then, Christ loved us. He sought us. He saved us. And the light of Christ came into our lives. In our scripture this morning, we're going to read a wonderful example of this in the life of a man who met Jesus for the very first time. We read the first part of this story last week. Jesus was leaving Jerusalem when he encountered a man who was born blind. Jesus used that encounter to say that he is the light of the world. And he then gave sight to the blind man in order to prove that his claim is true. We also saw that this miracle was a picture of something bigger and something greater. Jesus said, I have come to do the works of he who sent me. He then told the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And John pointed out that Siloam means sent. And so this pool of Siloam was a picture of Jesus. The blind man washed in the pool of Siloam and he was healed. We are washed in Christ. We are washed in the blood of Christ and we are saved. Now that was a great miracle. But like I said last Sunday, that wasn't even the greatest miracle that this man experienced that day. In the rest of the chapter, we read the rest of the story, how this man came to know Jesus personally as his Savior and Lord. And we're going to see that when the light of Christ 
shines. There are certain things you can expect to happen when Jesus shone his light in John 9, when Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, there were certain things that happened to this man in this story. And first of all, I want you to notice there's a conflict among those who have seen the light. There's a conflict among those who have seen the light. Most of John chapter 9 is one big conflict. Jesus heals this man who was born blind and suddenly there is a conflict among his neighbors and suddenly there's a conflict among the Pharisees and suddenly there's a conflict between the Pharisees and the man who was healed and suddenly there was even a conflict between that man and his own parents it was just one conflict after another look at verse 8 therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Well, you can see why the people might have been a little bit hesitant. Is this really the guy? He looks like the guy, but this guy can see. Is this really the one? And one thing that his neighbors could not ignore or deny was the change that took place in his life when he had this encounter with Jesus. Look at verse 10. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. I want you to notice the question that they asked him in verse 10 because this question appears four times in this story. They asked, how? How were your eyes opened? How did this happen? And you know what? They were really asking the wrong question. The right question was not, how were your eyes open? Or how did this happen? The right question was not how, but who? Who did this? Because once you understand who, the how takes care of itself. Well, these neighbors didn't understand this. So in verse 13, they take him to the Pharisees. They brought him, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Once again, Jesus performed a miracle on the Sabbath, Jesus seems to do that a lot, doesn't he? 
You read through the Gospels and you will notice that seven times, on seven different occasions, Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath day, and every time he did it, there were people who got mad. Why were they so mad? Because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. Well, if you go back to Exodus 20 and you read the fourth commandment, it's pretty simple. You will work six days and rest one. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. It's not that hard to figure out. Clearly, Jesus had not violated the commandment as it was given in the Word of God. Why are they so mad? They were mad because these scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees had added many of their own rules and regulations to the commandment. And they placed their rules and regulations on the same level as the Word of God. Some of those rules that they created about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath had to do with, I kid you not, spitting on the Sabbath. Some of those rules had to do with making mud on the Sabbath. And do you think maybe, just maybe, that's the reason why Jesus healed this man in this way? Why he spit into the ground and then took mud and put it in his eyes and told him to go wash and be healed. Maybe Jesus did it this way because he was challenging their religious system and maybe he was showing them that they were guilty of loving their man-made rules and traditions more than they loved God and more than they loved people. By the way, one of the characteristics of a modern-day Pharisee is that they love their traditions more than they love people. These folks should have been celebrating after decades living in darkness. Finally, this guy can see. There should have been a celebration, but instead of a celebration, there was an interrogation. And you know what's strange about this? The people who were the angriest were the ones who should have been the happiest. The religious leaders. Listen, there's nothing wrong with traditions, but be careful. Traditions are good, but people matter more. Some of these Pharisees were angry because Jesus violated their silly rules. Some of the Pharisees were impressed because Jesus had performed this great miracle. So there's this division between them. What will they do? Someone said, well, let's interview the man's parents. Look at verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until, that's a key word, until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, 
he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now, the Bible does not explicitly say this, but I can just imagine that at some point that man who was blind, that man Jesus healed, may have said to himself, he may have said out loud, gee, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. Thanks for standing up for me. I don't know about you, I don't think his parents won mom or dad of the year. We think if anybody is going to defend this man, it will be his own parents, right? If anybody's going to say, he tells the truth, this is our son, you should believe what he says, it will be them, right? Nope. Well, why not? Verse 22 says, because they feared the Jews, because they feared being cast out of the synagogue. Well, what did that mean? And why was that such a big deal? Why did they fear being cast out of the synagogue? Because when you were cast out of the synagogue in that day and time, that not only meant you were no longer allowed to come and worship in the synagogue, it, no lo- it not only meant you were not allowed to come and worship in the temple, I mean, you were cut off from the Jewish people. You were cut off from buying and selling and doing business. It means you were shunned. It means you were disowned by your friends. It means you were disowned by your own family. It means when you died, there would not be a funeral. It meant you had to pack up and leave Jerusalem. You had to leave Judea because once you were cast out, there was just no way you could survive there. This is why many of them really feared excommunication more than they feared anything except death. And here are these parents. They feared man more than they feared God. So rather than really defending their son, what do they do? They just kind of punted the ball. Well, he's old enough. Why don't you go ask him? So the Pharisees go back to the man who had been blind. Verse 24 says, So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. By the way, when you read those words, give God the glory, that was a saying they would use when someone was being sworn in, when a witness was going to give testimony in court. That was like saying, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. One thing I love about the story is just the simplicity of the answers that this man gives to all these people who are questioning him. He does not pretend to know stuff that he does not know. He's just reporting what happened to him, what he experienced. And you know what? This man was not afraid to say, I don't know. How did this happen? I don't know. Where is this Jesus? I don't know. Is he a sinner? I don't know. You wonder if at some point they asked him, do you know anything at all? 
I know one thing. I know that I was blind, but now I see. And none of the religious scholars could do anything with that. What this man said in verse 25, every born-again child of God can say as well. Maybe you haven't known Christ for very long. Maybe you're still at a point where you've got more questions than you have answers. But if you know Jesus, you can say this much, I was blind, but now I see. So can I just encourage you to do what this man did in verse 25? Can I just encourage you to cling to what you know Cling to what you know and let the stuff you don't know come in time. Cling to what you know. Let the other stuff come in time. In fact, create a mental file in your head and call it awaiting further information. I have such a file in my head. It used to be a lot bigger than it is now. But you know what I've discovered? When you do that, you have that file awaiting further information. And the more you walk with the Lord and the more you learn and the more God speaks, the smaller and the smaller that file will be. Look at verse 26. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Oh, how I would love to be able to go back in time and just see the looks on their faces when he asked them this question. Do you want to be his disciples as well? Now, I don't think he was intentionally trying to offend them. I think he's accidentally offending them. But I, I can't help but wonder if maybe he's getting a little bit annoyed. Here's a guy who has, ne has never been able to see. He has sight for the first time in his life. And man, he's got stuff he wants to see. He doesn't want to be bogged down in court all day long, getting hammered with all these questions. He wants to see stuff. For, for example, he heard about this thing called a sunset. Never seen one before, but he's heard about it. And man, he wants to get out there and see it. But they keep asking him all these questions. Verse 28, then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. I want you to notice that last statement, their rationale for not believing in Jesus, we do not know where he is from. Do you remember when we were in chapter 7, when these same Pharisees gave their reason for not believing in Jesus? They said, we don't believe in Jesus because we know where he is from. They believed that when the Messiah came, he would just appear out of nowhere. They said, we don't believe in Jesus because we know where he is from. You jump to chapter 9 and the same people once again say, we don't believe in Jesus. Why not? Because we don't know where he is from. Do you see what they're doing here? They've made up their minds before they've even looked at the evidence, like a lot of people we know. Well, listen to his response in verse 30. The man answered and said to them, 
why this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man was not a trained theologian. This man had not been to any formal schooling, not been to seminary. But I want you to notice the one thing he does have. It's called common sense. He takes what little he knows about Jesus, and he puts it all together. This man had certainly spent many a Sabbath day in the synagogue. He could not read the Scriptures, but he could listen to the Scriptures being read. And no doubt he had heard the Old Testament read again and again, and he noticed something in all of those stories from the Bible, in all of those miracles God had performed over the years. Never was there a story about anyone being healed who was born blind. And so this man reasoned to himself and said, well, if Jesus prayed for me and God answered his prayer by doing something that God had never done before, how bad can Jesus be? I mean, think about it. If you knew somebody and that person told you that they were praying for blank, they were praying for God to do something that had never happened in all of human history, but they were praying for it, and then God did it, what would you think about that person? You would say, this person has a special connection with God. You would say, this person has a special relationship with God. Now, this is the man's logic. And on the one hand, it's kind of simple, but on the other hand, it's kind of brilliant, isn't it? Well, here's... Their response in verse 34, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. They're blaming him for having been born blind. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. How quickly this man learned you are not going to be a friend of Jesus and a friend of the world as well. You will not say, I have Jesus here, and I'm going to cling to him and serve him, but I have the world right here, and I'm going to cling to the world. I don't want to offend the world. How quickly this man learned that friendship with the world, according to James chapter 4, is enmity with God. And it's interesting, this man isn't even saved yet. That happens a few verses later. But he's already learned what happens when you tell the truth about Jesus. So let me ask you this question. If you were to know that this is what it would cost you, if you knew that you would be cast out, that you would be disowned, that you would lose your friends and your family and your livelihood, would you still stand for Christ? And I ask you that question, and I would encourage you to think about your answer to that question because I believe that many, if not most of us, are going to have the opportunity to answer that question before we know it. But I'll tell you what, I would rather be cast out because of Christ 
than be cast out by Christ any day of the week. And so we see there's a conflict among those who've seen the light. But something else I want you to notice in this story, there's a progression for those who receive the light. It has been said many times, this man was cast out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple took him in. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Notice that Jesus found him. He did not find Jesus. Jesus found him. Jesus found him, and he asked him this question. Do you believe in the Son of God? Now, this is one of four times in the Gospel of John in which Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. Yes, Jesus believed. Yes, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And so he asked him this question. Then he replies in verse 36. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. What a day. I mean, earlier in the day, his physical blindness is healed, and now his spiritual blindness is healed. And don't miss this. Spiritually speaking, the man whom Jesus healed, he did not receive his sight because he was exposed to the light. He did not receive his sight because he was exposed to the light. No amount of light affects blindness. You can put a blind person outside on a cloudless day, high noon, and he'll still be just as blind as can be. He did not see because he was exposed to the light. This man could see now because he believed in the light he was given. And do not just glance over, do not underestimate the power of these three simple words in verse 38. Lord, I believe. He called Jesus Lord or kurios, which whenever it was used theologically always referred to God. Now, this man may not have understood the incarnation, and there were a lot of things he didn't know about Jesus, but he knew that Jesus had just claimed to be the Son of God. He knew Jesus had power. He knew that Jesus had authority. And when he called Jesus Lord, yes, he was in fact surrendering to him. He said, Lord, I believe. Literally in the Greek, I faith you. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm putting my life in your hands, Jesus. I'm trusting you right now to save me and to wash me. I'm trusting you with my today and my tomorrow and my forever. And if that's not enough, the rest of the verse says, and he worshiped him. You know, when people tried to worship Peter in Acts chapter 10, he stopped them. When people tried to worship Paul and Barnabas and Acts 14, they stopped them. When John, even John, was so overcome 
by the beauty of an angel in Revelation chapter 19, the angel stopped him and said, don't worship me, worship God. But when this man worshiped Jesus, Jesus received his worship. Because as the Son of God, it was appropriate for this man to worship him. Now, what did that look like? Did he bow down? Did he embrace him? Did he kiss his feet? Did he break out in a song? I don't know, but whatever it was, it was worship. It's interesting as we read this story to see the progression of this man's faith and this man's understanding of Jesus as we read through the chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, he knows very little about Jesus, but by the end of the chapter, he is worshiping Jesus. Notice what happens. In verse 11, he said, a man called Jesus healed me. He's a man, presumably a good man, but a man called Jesus. Then a few verses later, verse 17, the Pharisees say, what do you say about him? He said, he's a prophet. See what's happening? His knowledge of Jesus is growing. This man who gave me sight, he must be more than just a man. This man must speak for God. He must be a prophet. Then you get to verse 33. He says, if he were not from God, he could do nothing. So now he understands that Jesus is from God. Verse 35, Jesus asks, do you believe in the Son of God? And he's starting to think, now wait a second, I recognize this voice. This is the voice of the man who told me to wash in the pool of Siloam and be healed. And verse 38, he looks at Jesus and calls him Lord. Do you see what is happening? He starts off, and in his mind, in his heart, Jesus goes from being just a man to being a prophet to being sent from God, to being the Son of God and Lord. We see his faith growing. We see his knowledge progressing as we read through the story. Well, how exactly did this happen? It happened as he responded to the light that he was given. God gave him light. God revealed truth to him. As he received that light, God gave him more light. And God kept giving him more and more light until he finally comes face to face with Jesus and he is worshiping him. This reminds us of something Jesus said in Luke 8, 18. He said, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. In other words, if a person receives the light they've been given, they'll have even more. But if, on the other hand, someone rejects the light they've been given, even though it be little light, what little they have is taken away. You receive light by believing the light you've been given. You hear God speak by obeying what you've already heard God speak. 
If you open your Bible, my friend, and Jesus or God just doesn't seem to be speaking to you at all, then I would simply ask you, have you acted on what God has already said? Have you applied the light that God has already given to you? Because you must receive the light you've been given to receive more light. Every time this man saw light, he believed it. He received it, and we just see the progression. We see more and more light in John chapter 9. There's a progression for those who receive the light. One more thing I want you to notice. There is judgment for those who reject the light. All of this leads to one final confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees in verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Now, someone will read this and say, well, wait a second. In John chapter 3, didn't John say Jesus did not come into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him? Why, actually, yes, he did. So why does Jesus say here, for judgment I have come into the world? Well, Jesus came to the world to save but the result of his coming is judgment for those who refuse to believe they're like two sides of the same coin and because the light of the world has come jesus said there are two things that result on the one hand the blind may see the blind may see spiritually blind sinners like us can see but also those who see may be made blind these are the people who will not admit that they are spiritually blind these are the people who claim to have sight but they do not but the light of jesus will have one of these two effects it's been said the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. You ever heard that? The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same preaching of the gospel that will cause some hearts to be softened, leading people to repentance, will cause other hearts to be hardened, leading them to turn away. Look at verse 40. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Now the simple answer to their question is yes. They were spiritually blind because of sin. They were blinded by their pride. They were blinded by their hatred of Jesus. In fact, Jesus had already told them, Matthew 15, that they were blind guides leading the blind. But this time, Jesus actually surprises us with his answer. Look at verse 41. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. They were spiritually blind. But in John chapter 9, and really in the chapters leading up to John chapter 9, Jesus did something miraculous he gave them just enough light and just enough sight to know who he was 
He gave them just enough light and just enough sight so that they could decide how they would respond. For a few brief moments, they knew that the miracle was real. For a few brief moments, they had just enough light to know what that meant. They knew that Jesus proved to be the light of the world and they rejected him anyway. And for that, Jesus said, your sin remains. Vance Havner described it this way. I think he rightly said, a man is not judged on the basis of how many sins he commits, but on how much light he rejects. In John chapter 9, the light of the world came. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. A blind beggar was saved because he believed in the light. These Pharisees were lost, and many of them died lost because they rejected the light. The question is, how will we respond? Many of us know the story of John Newton, that man in the 18th century who was raised in a Christian home, who was raised by godly parents. But then, as many do, he got older and he rebelled in the biggest way possible. In fact, he lived a life of such debauchery, he was actually kicked out of the British Navy for being too rowdy. He said that at that time, the only goal in his life was to sin freely. But one day he read this book called The Imitation of Christ. It's a classic. I highly recommend it. But he read this book called The Imitation of Christ, and it gripped his heart. And it wasn't long after that that he had this life-changing experience with Jesus Christ when he came to him and believed on him as Lord. And you know what happened? This man who had been a slave trader became a preacher of the gospel. Not only did he become an, an Anglican minister, but he led many people to Christ. One of the men who was saved through the preaching of John Newton was a man named William Wilberforce, who is that man who led the drive successfully to abolish slavery in England. But looking back at John Newton's life, he said he was describing himself when he wrote that song we sang a little bit earlier. What probably is the most famous Christian hymn written in all of history. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Is that your story? If that's your story, share it. If it's not, it can be today. You join me as we pray. Our God, we thank you for this story of a man born blind who was given sight by Jesus. But we know that's not the best part of the story. It's not that his physical sight was restored. It was that moment, verse 38, when he came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe. And all of a sudden, his spiritual sight was restored. And a man who was lost was found. A man who was blind could see. 
God, we thank you that not only was that his story, but that's the story of many of us here today. And Father, I pray that we would take that story. Maybe we don't have all of the answers. Maybe we still have questions. But if we know Jesus, to be able to say, I was blind, but now I see, just to tell others what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has done in our lives. Help us, oh God, by your grace to do that. God, I pray for those who cannot make that claim. In verse 25 who cannot say, I was lost, but I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Because there's never been that verse 38 where they came to Jesus and confessed Him as Lord and placed their faith in Him. And so, Father, I pray that for that man or that woman or for that young person that this would become their reality even now. I pray, God, You'd crack that door open just enough. Give them just enough light to be able to see who they are a sinner worthy of judgment. Give them just enough light to be able to see that they can't save themselves. That it took Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now He is Lord. God, knock on the doors of their hearts this morning that today those doors would be opened and they would call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Help all of us to take what we've read, what we've learned, and apply all of this to our lives individually. And we'll give you the thanks, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Before we close with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, as we're praying, has there been that time in your life where you simply said, understanding what it meant, Lord, I believe. Such a simple prayer, but so powerful. Lord, Jesus, you're Lord. You're my king. You're my master. I will follow you. I surrender to you. Lord, I believe. I'm trusting in you, only you, to forgive me and save me and watch me. Has that been your prayer? Has there been that time? If not, how about right now? Anybody would say, Pastor, that's me. I need to take that step, and I'm ready to say, Lord, I believe. I need to be saved. And right now, I want to take that step for the very first time and say, Lord, I believe. If you're here today and you need to take that step, maybe you have questions, maybe you want to talk about what that means, I'm going to be here at the very 